0: The Old Testament lesson for the Feast of the Holy Trinity is from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. Glory be to thee, O but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. It was too much for Isaiah's eyes to see the Lord sitting on his throne. It was too much even for the angels who were hovering about, covering their faces. It was too much to be in the presence of the Lord Almighty. But notice this, it wasn't too much for Isaiah in the sense of being some sort of a blinding light, like a sensory overload, as though he has come to the edge of the Grand Canyon and he just, he just can't take it all in, or he's standing at the base of the Empire State Building and he looks up and it just overwhelms him, the sight of what is before him. It's not overwhelming, it's not too much in that way, although that's certainly true. It's certainly true that the glory and the magnitude of God is beyond anything we can perceive or comprehend. But it's too much for Isaiah in this way. It's too much because of his sin. Woe is me for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's too much because of his sin and because of God's righteousness, the difference between which is beyond measure. You cannot trace the difference between our sin and God's righteousness. They are further than the East is from the West. And so Isaiah stands before his Heavenly Father's throne, and he is undone. It's like being caught red-handed. Have you ever been caught red-handed? Think back to when you were a kid, and you were doing something you weren't supposed to do, and all of a sudden, because Mom's always watching, all of a sudden she says, what are you doing? And there's no escaping, there's no getting out of it, there's no lie or excuse that will satisfy because she saw you do it. Woe is me, for I am undone. Or imagine you were talking evil of someone, you were speaking ill of someone, and then all of a sudden you realized that that person was standing right behind you. Woe is me, woe is me, for I am undone. Imagine having all of your thoughts laid bare for everyone to hear for God to hear, imagine being caught red-handed. That's what it was like for Isaiah, and that's why it was too much. Now, Isaiah was a prophet and a holy man called by God in this very scene to be the speaker of God's word to his people. And even Isaiah is undone. It's too much for him to see the Lord of hosts, for him to see his king. And that is because Isaiah, like you and I, is born of flesh. Flesh that is corrupted with sin, like an evil infection, like cancer that spreads through your body and takes all your life away. We have been corrupted by sin. That's what it means to be born of flesh. It doesn't simply mean to have this stuff be your person your skin and your bones and your organs and your muscles. That's one kind of flesh. But the kind of flesh that is problematic for us goes deeper, it goes into our hearts to the place of love and trust, where we fail continually to do what is good, to think what is good, to believe what is right and true. That flesh is what we have inherited from Adam and Eve, like some sickness that gets passed down from generation to generation, some sickness for which there is no cure, a sickness which slowly and surely kills you. Isaiah was born of flesh, and so he was undone, standing in the presence of the Lord of hosts. That is something that our world does not take stock of and many Christians fail to recognize the gap between flesh and the spirit. We like to think that people are generally good. You like to hear and say the kinds of things that are encouraging like there are still some good people in the world. That person is a really kind and generous person. Look at how wonderful and nice that neighbor was to me. Look at how sweet and innocent those children are. We like to think that our flesh isn't so bad. But born in this flesh, we do not know anything of God. We know that He exists. Everyone knows that. It's only the fool who says in his heart that there is no God. But we don't know Him. It's like being a child of parents, but not knowing who your parents are, not being able to pick them out in the crowd, not recognizing their voice, thinking that they're just like everyone else. That's how we are born into this world, thinking that God is just like us, untrustworthy, unreliable, the last person that we would want to be subject to. Why would we want him to be our king? He'd kill us. That's what we would do to him. That is, in fact, what they did to him. Born into this world of flesh, we have no knowledge of God. We don't know his name. We don't know His nature. We don't know His love. And we do not know His will. No one born of the flesh, no one, can expect to call on God's name. Neither do they want to. That's how deep our corruption is. We'd like to imagine that people left to their own devices will search for God. They'll try to find Him. And maybe if they try hard enough, they can climb that mountain and they can see God face to face. But they don't even want to. We didn't want to. When we were born into this world, we wanted to stay down in the depths. We loved the corruption of our flesh, the desires of our flesh, the passions that were waging war against our souls. Those are the things we loved, and that's why we would cling to them, left to our own devices. Take that seriously. No one saves himself. No one wants to save himself. It only happens by a miracle of God. And this explains why so few people come to church. Sometimes it racks our brains trying to figure out why people don't come to church. Why won't they just show up? Why won't they hear God's word? Why do they object? Don't they know that they're creatures of God? Of course they know that they're creatures of God. Everyone knows. Everyone knows, but no one loves God. No one wants to be near him because we are born of flesh, because the experience of coming into God's presence is like the experience that Isaiah had, being caught red-handed, being undone, being exposed. Why would anybody want that? It's no wonder that so few go to church. Why would anyone want, want to be seen for who they are? There's a great Lutheran theologian who described the difference between Being in the presence of God, being with God, and falling away from God, or being in the depths. Here's how he put it. He says, to fall and die is something which we can do on our own. Something we can do of our own strength. And something in which the devil is glad to lend us his assistance. We can manage that all on our own. To fall and die. To sin and to love sin and to put ourselves straight in hell but to rise from the fall and live again is beyond our power besides being an undertaking in which the devil would exert all his power against us. It's like this, it's like there's a mountain and falling off the mountain is the easiest thing in the world you don't even have to try and you can fall off that mountain but you will never climb that mountain on your own least of all with the devil pouring down boulders on your head no one can do it. No one who is born of flesh. That is why it is too much for Isaiah to see the King, the Lord of Hosts. And that is why Jesus explains to Nicodemus that there is a better way. Better than scrambling, better than thinking that we're gonna make our way up that mountain, better than thinking that we have, there is a better way. And that is to be born of spirit. Instead of being born of flesh. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But notice how right away Nicodemus thinks that this is something he's going to be responsible for. How am I going to crawl back inside my mother's womb? How can I do that? Of course it's impossible. Because, Nicodemus, this isn't something you're going to do. How were you born into this world How were you born of flesh? Not by any effort of your own, but by quite a bit of effort on your mother's part. You would have stayed gladly in your mother's womb had she not made it happen for you. You did not birth yourself. You did not come out and take that first breath all on your own, but it was something that was done to you. And so it is with this new birth by the Spirit. It is not something that you can manage on your own. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus goes on, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Where does this birth happen? But where the water and the Spirit are present, in holy baptism. This is why the church has often thought of the baptismal font as the womb of the church. It's where your new birth takes place, where you are washed and made clean, where you receive a new name, the name of the triune majesty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which words are the words that we use in baptism? I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And receiving that name, you receive adoption into a new family. Not a family corrupted by flesh. Not a family that is destined for the grave and for hell. But a family of the Spirit. A family destined for eternity. A family that lives in the kingdom of God even right now. This is your new life by baptism. This is why baptism is a precious gift that goes on and on and on your whole life long. You are members of the kingdom of God. You do not belong here according to your flesh. But you are here. By the spirit of god you have been born again what was that new birth like well it was like the experience that isaiah had standing in the throne room of god all of his sins exposed that's what happened when you were baptized nothing was hidden everything was laid bare before god not so that he could destroy you but so that those things could be drowned and die so that your flesh could be drowned and die so that he could forgive All of those sins and cast them further than the east is from the west and give you a new life. His son's life. So that Christ could live in you and you in him forever. So that you could have a new heart. This is one of the most precious gifts we receive in baptism. Born of the flesh, we do not love the things of God. We want nothing to do with him. But born of the spirit, in baptism, by God's grace, you've been given a new heart that actually desires what is good. Even if at times you imagine that it is faint and frail and weak within you, nonetheless you've been given a new heart that loves God. A new heart that is being strengthened your whole life long. That is being taught what is good and true and holy so that you can cling to it and so that you can flee what is evil. So that you can pray to your Heavenly Father And ask him for strength, for an increase of faith and love. So that you can pray to him that you would be truly sorry for your sins. That you would not hide them, that you would not make excuses, that you would not hold anything back. But that you would flee from them and cling instead to his forgiveness won for you by the precious blood of Jesus. You get all of that with your new heart. It's a new heart that must be exercised. Just like any other organ in your body, if it is not used, it becomes weak. Just like your flesh grows weak, if you do not exercise it, so also your new heart must be exercised. And that is precisely what happens when you hear God's word. You are put to the test. You are strengthened. Will you deny your sin or will you instead confess it? Will you hold on to the things you love that God has told you are wicked and evil, or will you flee from them? Will you listen to his precious promises and not believe what the world says about you, not even believe what your heart says about you? Will you listen to his promises, that his love for you is deep, deeper than the ocean, that his love is greater than you can imagine? How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is man that you are mindful of? Will you believe that God has been mindful of you? That is the gift of a new heart which needs to be strengthened by God's word. That's why coming to church is indispensable for Christians. Because here you listen to God. You listen to what he says about you and to you. You receive through your ears the gifts of holy baptism again and again and again. You receive on your tongue the gift of the precious life-giving body and blood of Jesus, which is what you need to strengthen your heart, to keep you in fellowship with your heavenly Father, to keep you as a member of his kingdom, to grant you citizenship in heaven. You have come to know God in a way that no one ever thought they could. No one according to their natural flesh ever could. You have come to know God by his grace because he has revealed himself to you. But notice this. It's not just information. Sometimes the Athanasian Creed can just sound like information. Sometimes the Bible can just sound like information. But you have come to know God in the way that a child comes to know his parents. Not just one voice among many in a crowd, but a familiar voice. A voice of love and compassion. You have come to know God in this way, that he hears your voice, not just as one voice in a crowd, not just as a bunch of noise, but the noise, the voice of a beloved child, whom he could pick out a mile away, whose petitions he wants to hear and whose desires he wants to grant, a child whom he loves desperately. That's what you've received in Holy Baptism. And that is why, on the last day, you will be able to stand before God's throne, not undone. You'll be able to stand like Isaiah was able to stand after the coals had touched his lips and he had been purified. You'll be able to stand confident. And when God calls you, you will say like Isaiah, Here I am. I am your beloved child. Bless me with your presence. Keep me in your grace. And grant me eternal rest in your kingdom. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.